So we're starting a new series on Peter, and as you all know, um, when you read the Bible, sometimes Peter's name changes. So Peter's got a number of names in the Bible. So one minute it's uh, Simon the fisherman, that's where it all starts really. But Jesus calls him Peter, he calls him Cephas, um, which is the, well in the Aramaic, which is translated into the Greek, which is translated into Cephas, which means rock. So sometimes he's called rock. So basically tonight we're going to be talking about this guy, the rock, who is a fisherman. See what I did there? It's the rock as a fisherman. See? It's good, that. Oh, it took me ages to find that. Come on, guys. Now, that took me ages to find that. I was hoping for a bit more of a risk. Thank you, Graham. Thank you. Exactly. So we're talking about this idea of Simon the fisherman. And so, I don't know about you, but it's really interesting that this guy, his life starts <clears throat> on the Sea of Galilee as a fisherman. This is a back-end, nowheresville bit of the Roman Empire. So it's a, a, a territory that really they didn't really want. It's in the middle of nowhere. It's, everyone's forgotten about it. And this guy's a fisherman. So in terms of um, in, the, in the social hierarchy, um, fishermen probably rank slightly above shepherds. So he's not skilled particularly. He's not particularly well thought of. He's just a local guy who makes his living by trying to catch enough fish in the Sea of Galilee. He will have seen friends lose their lives. It was a dangerous job, but this is what he was doing. But somehow, in the course of his time with Jesus, he goes from being the fisherman to being the leader of the church in Rome, the home of the Roman Empire, the most influential and important city in the world at the time. So literally, there are monuments to him throughout the city of Rome, so this is the monument of Peter. You can see he's holding a key, because that verse Matt read earlier, the keys of Hades will not prevail. And so this is him outside what is called St. Peter's in Rome. You can't really see it there. I've got another picture of you. Fortunately, a few years ago, I was lucky enough to go to Rome and stand in the square outside St. Peter's. So I took a picture. I'm really good at taking pictures. Um, <laughs> so there's a picture of St. Peter's. <laughs> so what you have to realize is Peter goes from fisherman to leading the church in Rome, which in turn turned the world on its head. And I guess the question we're asking today is, if you want to change the world, it starts with yes. Changing the world starts with yes. Or, to put it another way, if you want to experience life in all its fullness, that promise that Jesus makes to his followers, then that starts with a yes. So when we look at Peter's life, we see this gradual progression of questions Jesus asks him and his yeses to greater and greater questions from Jesus. So we're just reading from Luke, and it says, One day as Jesus was standing by the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him, to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now, I don't know anything about fishing, but I am puzzled by the fact that they were washing their nets with the water that the nets had just been in. What would... Anyway, these are the things that occur to me when I'm reading these things. So the question is, in this moment where Jesus asks him a question... What does he ask him to do? Well, he asks him 
to say yes to doing a little with the little that he had. So Peter has a boat, and all Jesus says to him is, can you take your boat, and can you just put it a little way out from the shore? Something Peter could comfortably do in his own strength. Completely capable of it. It's inconvenient. It might have meant that he couldn't get home in time for dinner. Who knows what happened? But the reality is Jesus is only asking a little of him in this moment. And I think that happens to us a lot of the time. Jesus says to us, will you do this with the little bit that you are and the little bit that you have? It might be he's asking you to do something with your particular set of skills. Or he might be asking you to do something with something that you own, some of your possessions. For us, for me, one of the journeys that I've been on is uh, partly to do with my laziness, but also partly to do with having people in my home. And one of the things that, ever since we bought this house in Westbury, God has been saying to us, will you use this house for me? And so opportunities would come, generally through my wife, saying things like, here's a situation, we need to take this person into our home. Now, one of the first times she did this, she was very wise. She waited until I was in Serbia. And then she rang me and said, there's, there's a homeless teenager who's got nowhere to stay. Can she come and stay in our house? And I said, you've already said yes, haven't you? That actually, this wasn't really asking me what I thought. It was more an information she was passing on to me about a decision she's already taken. I don't know if that happens to any of you. But the reality was... We took this girl in. And this was the beginning of a process whereby God was saying to us time and time again, here's your house. Will you do a little with what you have to serve me and my kingdom? And so it starts with that. It might be for you, like I say, it might be your gifts. Maybe you've got a particular gift. Maybe you're good at music. And actually God says to you, do you know what? You could take that little bit of your gift and use it in this direction. Another classic example is our dear friend Rob. He has a bit of a gift for typing. And so God is using that gift to translate the Bible into other languages. It's using what you have to do something for God, little by little. And that's where it starts. But it doesn't finish there, because Peter then goes on to have this this further adventure with Jesus. So he says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answers, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. So what we have here is Jesus asking him to say yes to doing something unexpected or unexplained with the little that he had. So it goes from being kind of doing something that he feels confident and comfortable doing with the little that he has to doing something a bit weird with the little that he has. So in this case, it's taking his boat out onto the water again, maybe a little bit further from the shore, but then Jesus asked him to do something completely bonkers because he spent the whole night fishing. He's an expert fisherman. Jesus knows nothing about fishing, potentially. Jesus doesn't know what the wind conditions are, the sea conditions are. This expert has failed to get any fish, and Jesus comes along and says, put your nets down, you'll catch some fish. So for Simon Peter, this makes no sense. This is an unusual request. So in order to go along with this, he's got to put a bit of trust that Jesus knows what he's talking about. Because in his own strength and in his own knowledge, this ain't going to work. 
There's no chance. This is stupid. But he goes along with it. And the reality in my life, there have been times when God has said to me, okay, Dave, you've got a unique set of gifts. Or no gifts, if you talk to some people. But I like to think I've got some. And one of the things I really enjoy doing is running small groups. I enjoy small groups. I enjoy answering questions off the cuff. And so I was doing a bit of that in church life. And then through Chanel, there came the opportunity, because of the group of people that we were working with running a little alpha course, she said, a lot of these people have addiction issues. What we should do is start a recovery group. Now, for me, I knew nothing about that world. I had not grown up anywhere near that stuff. I didn't have a clue. I didn't know the first thing about the 12 steps. I couldn't tell you what step one was, let alone step 12. I knew nothing about it. But God said to me, and I really felt quite strongly from God, this nudge to say, this is the next thing. You don't feel ready for it. You don't feel equipped for it. You don't feel like you've got what it takes to do it. But I want you to take those little bit of gifts you've got of running small groups. But what we're going to do, Dave, is we're going to do it over here with this new group of people. And you're going to be way out of your comfort zone. It's going to be really tricky. It's going to be impossibly difficult at times. But I want to do something in the life of those people, and I want to use you to be part of that. So I faced a choice. I could have said to Chanel, do you know what, Chanel, lovely idea, but no, we're not going to do that. Or I could have said to her, why don't you talk to so-and-so, and actually, why don't you see if you can persuade Matt Doherty to do it with you? He's lovely. He doesn't like saying no. Ask him. Maybe he'll do it. I could have done that. But then I would have missed out on some incredibly wonderful moments, like baptizing Selma or some of the other things that have happened through that recovery group. So, you know, it is that thing of actually sometimes it doesn't make sense. We don't know why we've been asked to do it. We don't really know where it's going to end up. But Jesus just asks us for a simple yes. Because here's the thing. When Jesus sometimes asks us to do something, he doesn't give us an explanation. He doesn't guarantee it's going to be fine. He doesn't give us any information about what it's going to look like. So for Peter, it was a simple case of put your nets down. Now, Peter doesn't think he's going to catch anything. He's got no idea what's going to happen. So in faith, as he says, but you've asked me, Lord, I'm going to do it. And lo and behold, he catches something. So the thing is, if you want to grow in your relationship with Jesus, if you keep saying, God, you've got to explain everything to me before I do it, That actually, Lord, what I need is a sign. What I need is Rob Scott Cook to turn up at my front door dressed as a Japanese admiral singing the Marseillaise. Then I will know it's from you that I should do this thing. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. Because if God did that every time he asked us to do something, give us irrefutable, concrete proof it's going to be fine, then there's no room for faith. No faith required whatsoever. In order for faith to be present, there has to be risk. There has to be doubt. And I think ultimately doubt can sometimes be the doorway to greater faith. I'm not sure it's going to work, Lord. I don't know how it's going to work, Lord. I don't know why you've asked me. I don't feel equipped. I don't feel ready. But I'm going to go along with you, God, because you seem to be asking me to do this. But I don't think it's going to work. And I'm famous for saying, I don't think it's going to work. But the question is, for a lot of us, I think sometimes our doubts mean we get nowhere. Because if all you do is stay with your doubts, you don't do anything. 
You've got to allow your doubts to stimulate you to more prayer, to more faith, and to more trust. That actually recognizing your limitations and the uncertainty of the situation should mean we lean in more to God and depend more on him. Our faith will grow in that moment. Because the reality is all you have is your doubts. You're not going to do anything. You'll just go round and round in circles in your head. But the thing I love about this, when we remember who is asking us, that's what makes the difference. That When we feel scared or nervous or worried about what we're doing, there's this beautiful phrase from Peter. Because you say so, I will. Because of who is asking, I'm prepared to do this. Because the person who is asking, we know, is good and faithful and loving and true and full of grace and wants to bless us. So when he asks us, we're trusting the one who is all those good things. He is good. So we can trust him because of who he is. So when he says to us, will you do this? We need to remember, this isn't just another person. This isn't my boss asking me to do another ridiculous task. This isn't my teacher setting me an assignment I'm going to fail. This is Jesus who knows me and loves me and wants me to grow. So the story goes on. When they put their net, when they'd done so, when they'd gone out onto the lake, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore and left everything and followed him. So this is the key bit here. Jesus saying to him, don't be afraid. And I think sometimes we think when God asks us to do stuff, we should have such a sense of peace that we fear no nothing. We have no sense of fear whatsoever. That actually, we just have this calm that descends upon us and it enables us to do anything. That's absolute nonsense. The reality is sometimes God will ask you to do stuff and you will be terrified. You will be really scared. It's a scary thing sometimes to do something that's outside of your comfort zone, to do something that you couldn't ever imagine having done before. That can be quite a scary place to be, quite a vulnerable place to be. But sometimes God asks us to do that. But what we need to remember is, yeah, so sometimes Jesus asks us to do something He asks us to say yes to doing the unexpected and the unexplained, and we have nothing to bring to the party. So when Jesus says to Peter, I want to make you fishers of men, Peter has no skill set whatsoever relevant to that task of being a great preacher as far as we know. He's a fisherman. So here he is. He's thinking, this is the wonderful rabbi. This is clearly someone who God has sent because he says, away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. He thinks this person is holy. This person is a prophet. This is somebody God has sent. He doesn't deserve to be anywhere near him. He's not good enough. He's conscious of his own sin and he's conscious of his own shortcomings. But Jesus says, come with me. I want you to come with me. Follow me and don't be afraid. So in this situation, Jesus is asking him to say yes to something unexplained and unexpected, and he has nothing to offer. And sometimes Jesus does that with us. That actually he asks us to do something in our lives, and we're thinking, 
well, I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know why you're asking me to do this. And ultimately, Lord, I don't feel equipped for it. I don't think I'm the right person. Um, A few weeks back, well, probably many weeks back, Sally did a great little talk on imposter syndrome. And I think this is where imposter syndrome creeps in because we think, ultimately, I, I can't do this. I'm the wrong person. Jesus meant to ask someone else, and he's got the wrong name. That ultimately, by asking me, he's messed up big time. If he knew who I am and what I'm like, he would not be asking me to do this. Like, he doesn't know what he's doing. There's quite an arrogance to that in some ways, isn't there? That when we think we know better than Jesus as to why he's asking me to do it. So the situation here, what are we going to do in this situation? And Jesus, as I say, says, don't be afraid. And I think there is something about the fact that when Jesus asks us to do something, we have to take a step. Now, sometimes that step can appear really frightening and scary. And the mistake is sometimes we think we're all alone. But I think the best analogy for this is buddy skydiving. Because the reality is when you're standing in the doorway of the aeroplane, you can feel very, very alone. That ultimately, you are about to plunge several thousand feet to your death. But the reality is you are strapped to someone who knows what they're doing. And I think what we need to remember is when we step out of the aeroplane, we don't step alone. That Jesus is with us every step of the way. And he knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly why he's asked you to do it. He knows exactly what you're going to need to do it. And he will be with you every second of the way as you scream your head off. Because the reality is sometimes, like I say, even when Jesus is with us, we can still be scared. But we've got to push through that sometimes because if we're constantly fearful, we won't take those moments of doing what God is calling us to do. So here's the question. Next time you get a nudge from God, next time an opportunity comes your way and you face a choice, a bit like this fork in the road. You don't know where each path leads. You've no idea where this is going to end up for you. For me, the step I took back in 1997 at a church service, a roughly this sort of time in the evening, when a man said, we need people to come out to Romania, my yes in that moment, I had absolutely no idea that I would end up standing here in front of you. If you had gone back to that moment and said, Dave, you saying yes to moving to Romania to teach teach accountancy is going to end up with you leading a church, I would have laughed in your face. I would have said, you're insane. There is not a chance. That's the worst job in the world. You'll never get me doing that. And you not. I cannot believe I am standing here in front of you today doing this. Because the reality is, when we set off on the journey with Jesus, we don't know where we're going to end up. But as I say, he will be with us every step of the way, every moment of every day. So, do we want to change the world? Do we want to live life in all its fullness, as Jesus promises us? Well, it's very simple. It starts with yes. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you see us and you know us better than we know ourselves. 
that, Lord, so often we place a glass ceiling on what we can achieve. But, Lord, you see what's possible. You see what you can do with us in your strength and power. And, Lord, I just pray for each one of us here tonight. Lord, when you nudge us, would you help us to have that courage to say yes more often, to lean into what you're saying, to what you're doing. That, Lord, we wouldn't look at our own lacking, but that, Lord, we would look to the God who can provide. That, Lord, you would help us to have that confidence and courage. That, Lord, we would know that you will be with us whatever the future holds. That we are doing this with you and for you. So, Lord, I just pray, help each one of us, I pray, to say yes more quickly, yes more readily. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.